following content is a PodCloud Network production. Hey, oh. What it do, listeners? Today is Monday, December 11th, 2017, and I would like to welcome you to this week's special baseball edition of the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Sports Talk Show. Listeners, the show airs live on Mondays from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and of course at LloydAThompson.com. So be sure to hit that subscribe button so you won't miss a damn thing of previous shows or current shows that are aired. Also, if you have any questions, listeners, you can always shoot them through email to Lloyd at partmyfresh.com or you can send them directly to the website because me and Mad Mike, every now and then we take your questions and we air them and we answer them on this show. Also, you can follow us on social media on Twitter at Lloyd A. Thompson, one word, and on Instagram at Lloyd A. Thompson, one word. So be sure to hit that follow button. Guys, special, exciting show for you today as all we are going to discuss is baseball with this deal that the New York Yankees made for Gene Carlo. Stanton. It was a blockbuster deal, and if you're a Yankees fan, you gotta be excited because people that are Yankee fans are upset. So, in order to get the expert opinion on things, we got our sports baseball guru, Joe Bavera, sports columnist from the Sporting News, calling in to discuss this deal. So, guys, as always, let's buckle up, sit back and relax. And start spreading the news. Hey, yo, let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, like we always do at this time, it's Monday. That means it's time to talk sports with Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike. Let's go, fellas. Listeners, we got to find out where the Mad Mike is and where he's calling from today. Hey, yo, Mad Mike, where you at today, baby? Yeah, man, I'm actually on vacation. Uh, call it a staycation. I'm at home with the family for the holidays, so no traveling for the next few weeks. I hear that, brother. Well, that's the best place to be is at home. But listeners, we got our baseball guru, Joe Rivera, sports columnist from the Sporting News, to discuss this Giancarlo Stanton trade that the Yankees pulled off over the weekend. I call it a heist. And I'm happy and I'm charged for it. Hey, Joe, what's going on, brother? How you feeling? Lloyd, how's it going, man? Matt Mike, how you doing? How you doing? Hey, man. Everything good? I'm blessed, man. And and I, I'm blessed and I'm happy right now. So on Saturday, you know, Giancarlo Stanton invoked his no-trade clause to, to block deals on separate occasions from the Giants and Cardinals. And the New York Yankees swooped in to acquire the reigning NL MVP, Joe. And the Marlins, you know, they, they score at what could be considered a charitable uh, bargain price where all the Yankees had to do was send Sterling Castro and two second-tier prospects, Jorge Guzman, 
and Jose Devers. What's your thoughts on the trade, Joe? You know, it's it's hard to say that it's a robbery involved when there's uh it's a robbery when there's two hundred and sixty million dollars involved. But you look at the deal, you look what the Yankees gave up, you look at what the Marlins are throwing in with the thirty mil. Uh, you know, the Yankees got a, it's a hell of a deal. And, you know, when you look at it, Giancarlo Stan never had, uh, sorry, the Marlins never had any leverage because Giancarlo Stan knew how to, he knew how to maneuver with his, with his no trade clause from, from the start. He knew what he wanted. He had all the cards, he had all the power. So I think it's a great deal for both, both teams. Uh, the Marlins get what they want and they wanted to get out from underneath that contract. And the Yankees got a, a deal that fell on their lap, and they had to give up close to nothing for it. So, it it's it really works out for both sides. Hey, hey, Joe. From from I understand that that uh, the I guess the perception of this trade is that you know Derek Jeter hooked up the Yankees, but I'm I'm looking at this trade and I'm saying he was kind of forced into this by like as you said you know Giancarlo Stanton had all the leverage he's kind of forced into it uh do you think that maybe the Yankees uh gave a, you know did you think the Marlins rather got a little more than we want to give them credit for and uh Jorge Guzman and and uh you know Devers uh Jose Devers you know the thing with prospects it's prospects are suspects until they make it right so even if they're good, if they're good on paper, if they're highly touted, they're still a ways away. Um, I think you look at what John Carlo did, and he should win Executive of the Year for the way the team maneuvered that no trade clause. He, he he didn't want to give the Marlins anything, and let's be honest, the Marlins disrespected him in the entire process, right? Um, you know that they wanted to cut down payroll, but if they were to seem less desperate, at least now in the media, to cut payroll. And and I don't know if this is just, you know, Derek Jeter trying to figure out his way as an owner or if they're just being brutally honest with what they are as a franchise, that the fact that they came out as desperate as they did, teams knew that, and John Carlos Stanton knew that, so he wasn't going to give them anything. And he, rather than feel respected and, and try and help the team out and go to another team that had a better deal, uh, like the Cardinals or like uh, the Giants, no, I'm, not- uh, I'm sure that he felt a little jolted by it. Now, I know, you know, he also mentioned that the, the teams that he would waive his no-trade clause to was Houston was one team, the Yankees, and the Dodgers. Now, do you think once he kind of blocked the San Francisco and St. Louis deal that something might have been going on where somebody reached out to the Yankees and was like, hey, you know, we can make this happen, and that's how the deal went forward? Do you think something like that may have been going underneath, you know, under the scenes or under the table? You know, the way that the whole process shook out, um, the Marlins wanted the best deal, uh, and they had better deals from all reports. uh, They had better deals from the Giants, and they had better deals from the Cardinals than they did the Yankees. The Dodgers never wanted to kick in the money. And I don't think there's any, you know, there's there's a lot of, you know, Twitter conspiracy theorists that say uh, there's collusion here. There's no collusion. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton... He vetoed two trades to two teams. By all reports, said that he vetoed two trades. So the ball was in his court from the start. He knew where he wanted to go. Uh, if he wanted to go to the Cubs, one of the four teams, or Houston, or LA, LA wouldn't pony up the money. Uh, they wouldn't take on the contract. And at the end of the day, the deal kind of fell in the Yankees' laps. And Cashman knew how to how to twist the arm a little bit of ownership in Miami. 
and that front office and, and knew how to how to really stick it to him. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't really think there was anything under the table happening. I just think that all the business that happened was it's just common sense kind of stuff, especially coming from Giancarlo. And, and let's be honest, he was never in a million years going to accept a trade to St. Louis. This kid's a California kid. He loves the spotlight. He loves, you know, he's, he's very, uh, he's very outgoing. He's, he's built for a big market. He was no pun intended, a big fish in a small pond in Miami. And I just think he knew what he wanted and then it worked out for him and it worked out for the Marlins. They get rid of that contract. So I think everything, what you see is what you got. Hey, now Joe, for me personally, the most impressive uh, part of this trade is not necessarily that the Yankees got him for nothing but the money. It's more to me that the Yankees, it was finally you saw Brian Cashman's forward thinking, or at least, you know, in my, my opinion. You know, he looks in the market two years from now where Bryce Harper is, is talking about 10 years, $400 million, $40 million annually. Uh, you're, you're talking about Manny Machado who's looking for 10 years, $350 million. $35 million annually. And he, he got the Marlins to kick in exactly 30, you know, $30 million to drive the annual average for, for Stanton down to 22 million for luxury tax purposes. Most people don't understand how that works with, you know, the, the initial extension being added on to, you know, the extension being added on to his initial contract, uh, where the Marlins were only hit with what 25 million or so against the cap. Could you explain to the listeners how that worked out? Uh, Stanton, the, the way that average annual value works out against the luxury, the, the way the contracts work out against luxury taxes, you take the average annual value. Um, it's not as much as how, however much they're making on per year. So if you look at Stanton's contract, it's very, very backloaded. I want to say he's actually making around 35 or $36 million late in his deal. Um, but that doesn't matter now. He's owed $295 million on the base contract from now until 2027. And then you take that $30 million off the top plus whatever Cashier was making. And at the end of the day, uh, you, you do some math, you do the numbers, and the Yankees are still under the luxury tax. And if you look at their commitments heading into 2018, I think they're about, with this contract now, they're still about, I want to say, 25 or $30 million underneath that 197 mark. So, um it's 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 really just brilliant moves by Cashman to to get to get the Marlins to kick in that money. It's just it's smart business. Um, he didn't give an inch, and the fact that you're getting a player of Stan's caliber. And make no mistake, this guy when he's healthy, which is a big question mark. When he's healthy, he's a top ten player in baseball. His power is almost unrivaled. He's a great defensive right fielder. He can hit for average. You know, he's got a, I want to say, a 275, 280 career average. So he can hit. He's not, excuse me, he's not a one trick pony. So he's a, it's, it's just an all around great deal for Cashman, for the Yankees. And, and this is what, you know, as a side point, this is what great teams do and, and great front offices. They make the best move that they think they can make for the team. And this is across all sports. And they worry about the details later. So what if Stan's a right fielder? Um, you make that move now. And you worry about the rest later, and that's exactly what the Yankees did. And it, uh, especially when you look at the books and the money that, that stands out, it's just smart business. Now, the Yankees made it clear that they intended to get under the $197 million uh, dollar tax lux luxury threshold in 2018, Joe. Now, this will reset their tax rate. You know, the club is currently taxed at about, you know, the maximum 50%, and it'll save them a few. So 
you know, according, you know, acquiring the largest contract in the sport, standing his three years into his record 13, uh, 13 year, $325 million contract. Now, that doesn't seem the job, you know, with the plan to get under the luxury tax, as we said with the Yankees, but given the team's payroll situation, the Yankees can not only afford to pay Stanton, as you guys were saying, but they also still have room to sign another player or two. So you think the Yankees, and I'm hearing CC Sabathia's name, do you think the Yankees might go for Alex Cobb or someone along those lines, or they might make a trade, being that they have five outfielders currently? I think you're not seeing the Yankees done yet, and I think it's it's going to be and one more side note on Stan's contract before we continue. That $30 million that uh, the Marlins are paying him only kicks in if he doesn't opt out after 2020 when he has a player opt out. I don't foresee him opting out, especially with the money he's making at the back end of that contract. But back to your question, Lloyd, I, I think you're going to see a lot of moves happen, um, and you're going to see a lot of moves happen quick, and I'm talking within like a week or two. Uh, you know, Ellsbury is the big name right now. Um, if he can be moved, the Yankees would have to pay a little bit off the top uh, <clears throat> to, to move his deal because he's still owed $22 million. Aside from that, I, the Yankees have been in, t- in touch with uh, with CC Sabathia. Um, the process is ongoing. It, it seems like a foregone conclusion at this point that he's going to come back. So if you if you sign Sabathia, you're looking at a one through four of uh, Severino, Tanaka, Gray, Sabathia, and whoever your five is going to be now. You could probably package a guy like Ellsbury with maybe a Jordan Montgomery if a team wants to bite, and then you give that fifth spot to one of your young starters who you think is ready, maybe a guy like Chance Adams. Or um, you can move a Headley and you'll open up that spot at third base, and then you can bring Todd Frazier back, who I've said on this podcast before, I just think it's crucial for the team to bring him back. He's that veteran presence, he brings energy, and he just does so much for that clubhouse. And I've been in there, and I was in there during the playoffs, and I see how much he means to that team and how good he is with the media and with a young team that's really important. So they have a lot of they have a lot of moves they can make. There's a lot of work still to be done if they want to shed more money. And they're going to have a few dollars to spend, um, especially with the winter meetings going on now, starting today and Sunday. Uh, things are going to happen. They're going to happen quick. You're going to see a lot of similarities to that 2008 offseason heading into the 2009 season when – Cashman made one deal, and then they just kept rolling in. So I think you're going to see that, and it's going to happen soon. Hey, hey, Joe, I'm assuming with this trade for uh, Stanton, uh, for the most part, Brian Cashman is saying we've arrived. You know, we're, we're, we're done with the rebuilding and retooling. Uh, naturally, they still have moves to make. Uh, I've heard Garrett Cole's name brought up, I, I believe, you know, uh, Maybe Clint Frazier straight up for him. I hope they don't do that. But I, I know you put out a tweet, uh, I believe it was on Saturday, uh, where you kind of uh, compared the Yankees' rebuilds, retooling with the Houston Astros' rebuilds, retooling, and you caught a little flat because you you, you, you were still more impressed by Houston's rebuilding, um, not taking anything away from the Yankees. And I do, I do uh, actually agree with you that Houston's was much more impressive. Uh, would you mind giving our listeners a, a, you know, a little details or, or behind your thought process why you feel that way? Yeah, I still have uh, guys with, with uh, torches and pitchforks outside my front door. Um, angry Yankee fans with that tweet, I don't understand. Listen. 
Um, when you look at what Houston did, they had three straight seasons of losing over 100 games. And I understand that you get top draft picks, but you still have to do something with those draft picks. You have to pick the right guys. You have to you have to nurture them. You have to make sure that they come into their own. Now, they missed on three of their first-round draft picks in the last seven years, right? I'm not going to include or their last six years. I'm not going to include this year because it's still too early. They missed on Delano DeShields, who's now playing with the Rangers. They missed on Brady Aiken, um, who had injury issues. And they missed on Mark Appel, who they traded for Ken Giles, I believe, to the Phillies. So those are three guys that they missed on. And Aiken and 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 um, Appel were both number one overall picks. Um, listen, at the end of the day, when you burn when you burn the whole thing to the ground and you start from square one and you as a franchise, you show the restraint, you put everything that you have into um, everything you have into scouting, into development with your players to build a core like Houston did. And even though they had the money to spend, they didn't spend it. They didn't get locked into big contracts. They didn't do any of these things that would put them in a hole or, or set them back at all. They endured the suffering. They built their guys up. Springer, Correa, obviously. And Altuve wasn't drafted, okay? Let's not forget that. Uh, Altuve was an amateur, an international amateur free agent that they signed. Um, so these, and Bregman was a first round pick too. So these guys obviously arrived in a big way. Now, uh, if you look at it from the Yankee side, obviously they didn't have to endure the suffering, but that's because the Yankees spent and spent. And when it was time for them to start making moves, they had reasonable contracts. They, they could move to replenish their farm system. Obviously there were guys that they, um, built through the farm system and, and judge and, and Sanchez and these guys, but you know, the Frasers of the world come from other organizations and, the Yankees, while it's, and I said this, it's mind-boggling to see how Brian Cashman and, and they completely upended their organization top to bottom with their farm system, and now they're in a position to challenge for the World Series. It's just when you're building everything from scratch and you look at it from the bottom up, you have to have a lot of things go right and go your way so you can win, which is why it makes, to me, Houston's build more impressive than what the Yankees did. I definitely agree with you on that as well. Now, you know, the Yankees, they have a fairly large arbitration class this offseason, Joe. They have eight players, to be exact, including several important members of the team. Now, these guys haven't signed their 2018 contracts, and I'm hearing reports that that'll happen at some point in January, most likely. But those contracts also have to be budgeted into the 2018 payroll. Now, the players... That are for arbitration at Didi Gregorius, Sonny Gray, Dellen Batances, Adam Warren, Aaron Hicks, Tommy Canley, uh, Austin Roman, and Chasen Shreve. So all for those names that I listed, I can see the majority of those guys get, probably getting a decent increase. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, you know, aside from a guy like Shreve, uh, a lot of those guys are going to get paid. Gregorius is going to get paid. Um, and I think you're going to see a lot of deals done before we head to court to arbitration. Um, I think I was looking at contracts on baseball reference and, uh, spotrack.com, uh, great resources. And I want to say that their estimation for arbitration players heading into the season is going to be around 25 to $30 million. Um, and those are including guys that are entering arbitration and guys that are already under. So you're going to see, yeah, these guys are going to make a pretty penny more. But at the end of the day, arbitration is a really ugly process. 
usually it goes the way of the front offices and the owners. Usually these guys don't make a lot of money. Look at what happened with Dellen Batances this past season and Randy Levine and how ugly that got. Um, it's an unfair process, which is why I think now, Heading into the season, I don't think the Yankees want any bad blood with their players. You heard it in Aaron Boone's press conference. He wants to build relationships, and I think that's that's the direction they're going to go. And arbitration is an ugly process, especially with young players. They don't want the the players don't want to the, the front office doesn't want to ruin relationships with players and, and the other way around. So these guys are going to get paid. Um, not as much. Uh, like again, like a guy like Shreve, he probably won't be making that much. Um, Kaylee's going to get a nice increased DD, obviously, but I don't think it's going to break the bank. Uh, I don't think it's going to break the bank. Now, so yeah, we, no, I, I'm sorry. I was going to say, re- remember one other thing about arbitration. You, you, you can offer numbers out, you know, from both sides. The Yankees don't necessarily have to retain the rights to some of these guys. Like if Austin Romine is looking for $2 million and you think Kyle Higashioka in the minor leagues can give you, you know, at least close to what the the uh, you, you know Austin Romine is going to give you as a backup catcher. You release him and you call this kid up for five hundred thousand dollars, and you save you know a million and a half right there. So uh, I, I I don't um, I don't say that that uh, arbitration is something that they don't have to worry about. Obviously, it is. But when some of these lesser guys, if their numbers come in a lot higher than than anticipated, you just move on from them. Yeah, and I think a guy like Romine, you know, it's funny because he's been dead to right so many times, right? And you've seen that he just keeps coming back. Um, which is why a guy like him, I think they want to retain him when, when you look at how much experience he has with the pitching staff. Even if you're not impressed with his production, I think that's something that a new manager will value. I think that's something the front office values. But other guys I can see being let go, but that's still a decent amount of players there that mean a lot to your success and, and have meant a lot to your success last year. Now, speaking of arbitration, uh, Joe, can you just explain to the listeners the whole process of what arbitration is? Because I had a listener ask me the question, and I could have completely answered the question wrong. So I, I, I thought arbitration was something where a player, I guess from his end, he, he feels that he should make this amount of money, and the club says it. They should make a certain amount of money. Now, how is it decided? Does the judge decide what the player makes? What's that whole process? It's basically that um, before you can hit free agency, before you have X amount of uh, um, MLB experience that you can declare yourself a free, you can declare free agency. Um, you go through arbitration years. So uh, it depends on the player, but there's usually two or three years of arbitration. And player X, so say Didi Gregorius, he said, "Oh, listen, I have a great year. I think I deserve." Um, nine million dollars. Then the Yankees will come back and say, "No, you, you know, because of this, this, and this, you actually only deserve four million dollars." And these guys are making peanuts to begin with. So um, then they go to court and they they have an independent arbitrator decide how much um, each player is worth. Um, and sometimes guys won't sign the contracts out of protest and they'll play for you know the minimum or whatever they were making, but. That's usually that's basically how it works in a nutshell. Um, the arbitrator will decide how much a player is worth. Usually, usually the rulings go in favor of the owners. Sometimes uh, they'll come out cleaner. The players will come out cleaner, and uh, a lot of times, too, the, before you can reach arbitration hearings, um, the team and the player will work out a deal so they don't have to go through that entire process. So that's basically arbitration in a nutshell. Well, I guess that's why they get ugly because. You know, if a player is saying, well, like, Didi, Didi had a really good season. 
So Didi could come in and say, hey, man, I think I'm worth $9 million. And the Yankees could be like, well, wait a minute. We think you're worth $2 million. And Didi could turn around and be like, what? You guys literally think I'm worth $2 million? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's exactly what I'm worth something else. The, um, the, one of the other reasons a team will, will kind of come in lower is when you go to file for arbitration the following season – you start from your current contract. You yep. can't go down. So yep. the reason the Yankees fought Dylan Batances is because they give him three and a half million this past season. And now this year you start at five. You know, you're going to start at three and a half and then you're going to say, well, I'm going to give him a two million dollar raise. He'll make five and a half. If Dylan won last year and he made five million last year, this year he'd probably put in a number at about eight. And, yeah. and, and over the course of the process, the team loses more money. And you know what's unfair about the whole thing, too, is, you know, you take a guy like Dylan Batances, who, you know, this year was an up and down year, but if he obviously means a lot to a team, a team is going to want to keep him happy. And, and um, what a team says about you in arbitration and how much they value you during the process often says a lot to other younger players um, about what the team is about, right? So you don't want to go into an arbitration hearing and look what Randy Levine said about Dylan Batances earlier in this year, where he completely tore him down. And I understand that maybe he wasn't worth it. They didn't believe that he was worth the money that Dylan was asking for. But um, that kind of stuff, you know, Levine that's saying, you know, what does that send to other players uh, who are free agents or who are entering arbitration and one day will be free agents? Why would they want to deal with you again um, after the things that you say or the things that you do in an arbitration hearing? So it's a really complicated process. It, it, it gets ugly a lot of times, which is why you're starting to see more and more teams settle with players before arbitration hearings. And I think that's for the best. Now, looking at the Yankees, uh, upcoming season in their roster so currently Castro is out of the mix so the second base slot is open um I'm hearing Torres Glaber Torres the Yankees minor league stud um you know I'm hearing that they may slot him in to the second base uh position and then they're going to use the outfielders as a rotation for the DA spot now with Aaron Boone Joe you know Javadi I always felt that Javadi was kind of like you know even if a uh a stud in the minors might have been ready. Javadi kind of always kept them down. Do you think of a like Torres and and Chance? I forgot the Chance Adams. That's the young man's name. The pitcher. Yeah. Do you think if those guys are ready, that Aaron Boone is the type of coach that'll be like, okay, come on up and let's you know let's do what we do, or do you think he's still going to be like, well, no, go back down in the minors and you know play another year down there? How do you think the you know that the mentality and with Aaron Boone might be different? I, I was at Aaron Boone's introductory press conference this weekend, and after the formal showing, um, we had an, a more informal press conference. And the one thing that Boone preached over and over again were relationships. And I think he understands he's in a position where the young players are very important and the relationship with young players are very important. And the feeling that you kind of got this past season was, um, and I think part of the reason he got the job was because Joe Girardi was stressing um, a lot, you know, he stresses these players out a lot, and you can tell he picks favorites. A guy like Tyler Wade, who he said in the media he needs to hit more, or a guy like Gary Sanchez, who he said in the media that he needs to improve defensively. That's just not things that um, managers that keep their jobs do. Um, that's just the bottom line. So I think Boone is the type of guy that, that will look at what he has on paper. You can tell he's a very, very intelligent baseball mind. Um, just from what he says, yeah, I think managing experience tends to be a little overrated anyway. 
Um, I think he's going to see these players. Cashman's going to give him players. Uh, a guy like Gliber Torres, you're not going to see him start the season at second base. I think the Yankees are going to wait uh, a couple weeks to start his clock a little later. But you'll probably see Tyler Wade start the season at second, if I had to guess. Um, and, and Torres will slot in there later. But talking with Boone, uh, he stressed that relationships are very important. He's, he's actually singled out Gary Sanchez as one of the players that he feels uh, he has to connect with as a manager. And he also said that he reached out to pretty much the entire team via text message, and he's trying to get the ball rolling on meeting these guys and getting to learn these guys. So I think he understands that he's a young manager with a young team, and cultivating relationships and keeping guys even keeled over the course of the season is really important. So to answer your question, yeah, I think he's the type of player that, or type of manager that will give young, young guys a shot, uh, and I think that's really important on a team that's just loaded with young guys. Hey, Joe, um, speaking of Aaron Boone and how he might view some of the young players, any any word on uh, potential third base coach, bench coach? Uh, you know, I know that Larry Rothschild is staying on uh, as a pitching coach. I'm, I'm not sure if I've heard Tony Pena has, has made a decision to come back or, or uh, leave the team. I know they said it's his call. Uh, any, any word on what Boone is uh, looking at? Uh, I think the last that I read was Josh Bard. Um, this is courtesy of Andrew Marchand of ESPN.com. Um, uh, it looks like Josh Bard, former major league catcher, is probably going to slide into the bench coach role. He's a guy that's heralded for his, you know, his baseball IQ. That's something you're going to hear a lot. As far as the other slots go, I think you're going to see a lot of that come down early this week. There hasn't been a lot out there yet. Boone said in his press conference that he's not exactly looking for major league experience. He doesn't think that that should be a prerequisite on his coaching staff. And and you kind of respect and, and admire him for that because he's very honest. He's not saying uh, certain guys should get jobs just because they've been around for a long time. Because at the end of the day, that's how you get retreads. That's how you get a lot of uh, coaches that you know have been in, in situations where they haven't won. But because they keep getting second, third, fourth chances... Uh, for some reason, that that's how you get retrends and you get complacency and you don't really get a new message in there. He said oh, I, he, I completely agree. And he says, uh, Boone also said that he wants smart and he wants confidence sitting next to him. Um, not exactly uh, experience. So, yeah, I think you're going to see some first-time coaches there. I think Pena would be a huge boost to the staff, but if he doesn't want to come back, he can't really force him. But uh, as far as bench coach goes, it looks like it's going to be Josh Barton unless somebody else blows him out of the water. Now, I know we mentioned the importance of Pena coming back, and, you know, we kind of thought that Pena might have been sliding into the bench coach. So, apparently, with Bard being slotted into the bench coach, I mean, that would pretty much uh, leave Pena with being uh, returning as a first base coach, if if anything. So, I mean, you know, does that lessen the chances of him coming back? Do you think Pena might have felt slighted that, you know, he wasn't given an opportunity to be a bench coach and might not be okay? With doing a first base coach job, yeah, Payne has been everywhere in this organization, right? I mean, he's been—he's he, such an important voice to the young players. I just—I—I I, I understand that experience. And I just said experience. I don't think is everything, but when you have, um, let's not forget Tony Payne's Tony Payne's connection to the uh, Hispanic players on the team and the Latin players on the team. Uh, I don't think that can be understated, and he, the, the players love him. Um, He's a big clubhouse presence. Uh, I, I think he's important to stay. It's important that he stays to see this through. But at the same time, like I just said, um, sometimes retreads in baseball aren't the best thing. And Payne is a guy that's 60 years old now. He's managed before uh, a decade ago now. 
So I don't see him really going anywhere else and lighting anything else up um, unless somebody comes to him with, with a big-time opportunity. But uh, it's important that he comes back. I think if the team understands, it's important that he comes back. And you'll probably see him back as the first base coach next year. But it, it, it remains to be seen with some of these moves that the Yankees are making. Been a little bit outside the box. So it wouldn't surprise me if he's gone. Now, I'm hearing, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this gentleman's name, I believe it's Denbo. He was somebody that Jeter uh, grabbed from the Yankees organization and brought him over to Miami. Um, he spoke pretty much highly of the two uh, the two prospects that, the Yan- that, that Miami got from the Yankees. So they're saying that these guys aren't as bad, you know, as people are made it, making it out to see. But, again, Jeter is catching... So much crap, man, and, and so much blame, you know, for this deal when, you know, to me, everything falls on Bruce Sherman's shoulders. And, you know, I, I'm just I, I'm still baffled. And, you know, I, I just don't you're, understand why everybody's you're, seeing this. You're as talking with your heart right now. You're talking with your heart. You don't want people to, to come down on him. fact of the matter is they took over an organization that was already losing up to $85 million a year. They had way too much commitments and not enough fans coming in. It's that simple. Um, I mean, I'll be honest with you, Joe, and sorry to step on your toes here. Um, I'd love to hear what you think. But as far as Gary Dembo goes, he turned around the, the Yankees uh, minor league system. And if, if he knows what's out there, you, you, nobody's going to know better than him what's out there. Now, Personally, I've never heard of Jose Devers, and, and I like to think that I'm pretty in touch with uh, the, the Yankees farm system. Never heard of him going into yesterday. Uh, but I'll tell you, I think Jorge Guzman is going to be, if he becomes a prospect instead of suspect, to use Joe's term, um, I, you might have found your replacement for you know Jose Fernandez. Now we're talking three, four years in the future. And I don't know that many fans will be calling Jeter some kind of shill, Yankee shill, if that happens. Yeah, and, and there's a lot that goes into this, right? Uh, Gary Denbo obviously knows the Yankee system better than everybody else in baseball, um, considering he's there. So if he thinks he got two guys that can really, you know, shake things up in, in the Marlins minor league system, you got to start somewhere. And as far as Jeter goes, I personally think Jeter is getting a lot of unnecessary crap, and, and here's why. He's taking, like you said, Mike, he's taking over a franchise that was in the dumps, right? And much like we were talking about with the Astros before, um, you have to start somewhere. And if you're burning the whole thing to the ground and if you're starting from scratch, this is where you start. Uh, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with him firing the ambassadors um, to the team. They're not his guys. They're not um, guys that he has any relationships with. He's just being an owner. This is what owners do. This is what businessmen do. Um, he wasn't going to go in there and, and be, you know, fuzzy and warm. He's there to win and he's there to turn a franchise around. That's been in flux for years now, um, since 2003, since they won that last world series. And I, I see no fault in what he's doing. Sure. The methods can be a little different and the message could be a little bit less arrogant, I guess. Um, but at the same time, he's, he's an owner. This is what he's doing, and he's taking over a business, and he's looking at it as, as, as a startup. And with a startup, you have to make certain moves that aren't going to please everybody. It started with the stand deal um, and, and cutting payroll, and, and I don't fault him for that. He didn't sign those deals. He didn't acquire those players. Um, his form system isn't his and the rest of the ownership group. So it's unfair to people for people to come down on him. Um, 
But I also think, uh, obviously, there are certain things that they probably could have done better as an ownership group. And this is an, uh, an ownership group that has to learn a bit, little bit of how it works and how the game works and, and certain message. But, again, I don't fault Jeter for, for the moves that he's made, the things that he's done. It's, it's what baseball owners do, especially when you're looking at a franchise like Miami. Now, they also um, got rid of D. Gordon, if I'm saying his name correctly. They pretty much gave him away for peanuts as well. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's obvious, like you said, that, you know, this team is in a bad way financially, and you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, and, and, you know, the thing with D is you got to look at it a few different ways. Number one, D was, is costing them a pretty penny, so that's more payroll off the books. Jerry DePoto up in Seattle can't. Uh, he can't go 48 hours without making a trade. It's amazing the amount of trades that he makes during the offseason. I want to say he made uh, 17 or, or so trades last year, um, which is just insanity and nothing really to show for in Seattle. Um, so I, I think, you know, again, this is what ownership is going to do. They want to shed payroll. They have to shed payroll. And I just think at the end of the day, um, you look at what, what Miami's doing, there's nothing wrong with what they're doing. They're getting, and it's only, you don't want to say it's going to get worse, but there are going to be more guys that are going to go. You're going to look at Chris, Christian Yelich is going to be gone. Marcelo Zuna has been linked to the Dodgers. He's probably going to be gone. Uh, Derek Dietrich, another guy, he's probably going to be gone. Uh, you're looking at a complete gut of the team at the end. Of, and I think when it's all said and done, you might be looking at, Justin Bohr still be there. Uh, JT Real Muto is a guy that's very, very underrated in baseball. He puts up great offensive numbers, and he's a fantastic athletic defensive catcher. Um, that I think he he's probably the most underrated part of that team. That's getting uh, no coverage, no press, and and for some reason no interest from these other teams. Um, but again, it's this is what teams do. Uh, this is what an owner does when he looks at a startup. You have to start from scratch, from square one, and that's what they're trying to do. Now, before we let you go, Joe, two questions for you. Uh, one is Otoni signed with uh, the Anaheim Angels. I uh, want to get your thoughts on that real quick. As the Angels, are the, you know, they, they won the war. What are they plans with him? Is he going to, you know, pitch and play and hit, or is he just going to pitch? Like, has, has there been anything stated as far as what their plans are for him now that they have him signed? Uh, the Angels' ownership yesterday, and Billy Epler said the, the plan is to use him as a two-way player now. Uh, I'm not sure how that's exactly going to work because all scouts have said that while Otani's swing is very pure, he's not a defensive outfielder um, at all. Uh, he hasn't played in out, an outfield position in a few years, I want to say, and... Uh, he should be able to hit, but it's you're not talking about a 300 hitter. He's going to be pretty decent, which means you're probably going to see him uh, as a pitcher. Now, what role he is as a pitcher, you'll probably see him start. Um, one thing to remember, Japanese players that come over that pitch, um, they come over, they pitch one day a week over there as opposed to once every five days here. So that adjustment's going to be worth watching and how they're going to use him as a hitter and a pitcher both. I... Honestly, I just don't see how it works out. Um, for And again, I'll say this again. I said this on the podcast before, but if the team has to bend over backwards like the Yankees would have had to to find a spot for him, um, it's not worth it. But for a team like the Angels, who uh, they're going to they have to put butts in seats, who are kind of a middling team. They were 80 and 82 last year, haven't been great over the last five years. 
Um, Pujols is, is getting old and his contract isn't great. So they got to find something that excite their fans. And I think this is a, it's a, it's a smart move for them. It's, it's low risk, high reward. So, uh, hey, it makes sense for them, but I'm not hey, sure. Joe, real sense. quick. You, you, you mentioned that, that he's not an outfielder. He, I believe he hasn't played the outfield in Japan in, in about three seasons. Um, that would make him a DH. That would force the Angels to put uh, Albert Pujols back to, at first base. He, he was primarily their DH, um, if I recall, this past season. Uh, wouldn't that increase the risk of his injury? And if you do play him back at first base, you, you, I, I guess you, you cheapen their defense. And if Otani doesn't hit, he, he lessens their DH position. Wouldn't that, isn't that bad business? Yeah, it doesn't. Again, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But when, when it's a guy that you're not spending a lot of money for and you're with a team, you're on a team that uh, they're not really, not much is expected from, um, it, it, it makes some sense, but it, it, you're kind of forcing them, or Otani, the signing of Otani is kind of forcing them into weird spots. Like you said, if you have to put Albert Pujols back at first base, uh, you know, that's not going to be a pretty scene. Um, he hasn't really played first base in, in a long time, and he hasn't really played it well when he has. So, uh, and, and if you're asking Otani to pitch, what is he going to pitch as? Is he a weaver? Is he a starter? Obviously, there's, more, there's a little more flexibility there, but you got to wonder how they're going to use him. It's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, I'm sure they have a plan for him. Obviously, Otani asked all uh, or most MLB teams during the process, you know, pitch me on how you're going to use me, no pun intended. But uh, if the Angels came up with a plan that they think is going to work and Otani thinks it's going to work, they're going to implement it. But uh, as far as how well it's going to work, that that remains to be seen. I, I have no idea. I couldn't even fathom a guess. Now, Houston is obviously the beast. And that division, do you think the Otani signing closes the gap even slightly? Because, I mean, I really can't see those guys being anywhere near Houston, but it is baseball, so you never know. But do you think that this signing, but obviously he's an unknown, you know, we, we always say we don't know what to expect from him. But obviously this is such a big deal, you know, for baseball and for the Angels. You think this can possibly close the gap? I mean, because it's not like he solves all the Angels' problems either. No, it's, this is just the beginning of what, what the Angels have to do. Uh, and my colleague Ryan Fagan wrote a great column on Sporting News that Otani's just the beginning. Sure, it's a nice piece, and uh, he's playing with the best player in baseball, Mike Trout. Um, but it's it's just not enough, It's and it's not going to be enough. Angelton Simmons had a breakout year last year. Um, obviously, we knew him for his defensive capabilities with the Braves, but last season you saw him put it all together, and... Uh, it's just the beginning that rotation is still a huge, huge question mark. It's an unknown. It's not even a question mark. We just don't know what it's going to be. Um, but it, it, as far as competing in the West, there's still a little bit away. I want to say they were surprising last year, even finishing at 80 and 82. I mean, two games under 500 for a team with the injuries that they had is, is very, very impressive. But uh, Otani helps. It's a start if they find out how to use them. But they're still a ways away from competing there. I, I still think they're probably the, the third best team in the division behind Houston. And I think uh, the Rangers had a down year, but I think they'll probably come back this upcoming season. Uh, and then Oakland and, and the Mariners, uh, you know, swapped them four or five. But uh, Sosha's shown time and time again that he's a great manager, uh, even if some question his loyalty to veterans and, and how that all works out. But, you know, going 80 and 82 last year, with the roster that they did, the pitching that they had is, is, is beyond impressive, but I don't think they're ready to compete yet.
Now, I hate to shift things back to Miami, but I'm hearing that uh, the Mets inquired about Sterling Castro. Uh, is there any leverage with that? Do you think that's something that might happen? Because obviously Miami is trying to trim, trim, and trim. Do you think they might be willing to ship uh, Sterling Castro to the Mets? Yeah, I think that's a possibility. Uh, Miami knows that they're away for, a ways away from competing. They want to keep getting rid of money. And if that means sending them to an in-division rival, they're, they're going to do it. Uh, I th- And it's a good fit for the Mets. You know, the Mets still have a lot of question marks, but they need, they need something. And you heard Sandy Alderson in his press conference come out today say they're going to sit still in free agency this year again. They don't want to get the fans' hopes up. Um, and the Mets are, and I'm going to say this, but the Mets are kind of an embarrassment. I tweeted it out before, but. Uh, at some point, this team has to figure it out. They got to get it together. The general manager needs to stop making these comments in public. They need to stop um, coming out the way that they do and 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 making the comments that he does. You know, and the fans are clearly very tired of it. Uh, he said before, I quote, he said, uh, "Why would we be in on John Carlos Stan when we have Brandon Nimmo uh, playing out in right field?" And you know, you can't really slight your player like that. Um, Especially Nimmo, and that team is is a mess um, roster wise. Trying to figure out who to cater to with Cespedes, he should be playing right. But yeah, I think you'll probably see Castro end up on the Mets. Uh, I'm not sure what they have to give, but if the Marlins want to get rid of him soon before, they'll get rid of him. Get rid of him, and probably not for much. And uh, pretty much, we're going into next season. I mean, obviously, not the people are crowning. You know, the Yankees is division winners, is the AL East division winners. Where would you say this deal with Stan puts the Yankees as far as them in the division and them as far as, if anything, making the playoff push? Because I think Houston is going to be right there again, and they have that pitching staff. So Houston's going to be there again, but the only problem with Houston and this scared you last year was the injury problems with their rotation, right? You look at Keuchel, this is the second year in a row that he had problems with his neck and back. Um, you look at, at uh, Lance McCullers also, and he had some injury issues, even though he was good when he was healthy. Uh, I think, you know, the Yankees are AL East winners on paper at this point. Their lineup is Murders Row 2.0. I wrote that yesterday. Um, they're, they're one through five or one through six, however you want to, want to write it down. It's just, it's good luck. Uh, you can't pitch around anybody, especially if Gary, if, uh, Greg Bird can stay healthy and if Gary Sanchez can take the next step, uh, uh, Judge Stanton, Sanchez, Bird, you know, two through two through four, two through five. That's uh, that's scary stuff, man. And if Severino can take another step, I just think the rotation is better than anybody in the East. Um, Boston's lineup doesn't necessarily scare me. It'd be interesting to see if they add Eric Hosmer. That's been the rumor. Um, but yeah, I think they're better than everybody in the East. I think they're probably American League champions, given uh, Houston's uh, rotation health issues, uh, and they were kind of the team of destiny this year. So I expect to see a little bit of a hangover from them. But uh, it's tough to say. But on paper, I think they're the best team in Yale. Matt, Mike, you got anything else for Joe? Um, I, I just speaking about the division real quick. I thought that this trade for Stanton, while the Yankees have become right-hand heavy, I think it's pure genius. But when, when you look at the fact that Boston's starting rotation is actually left-hand heavy, I mean, and it, it, I'm not. I don't want to slight Toronto. I don't want to slight uh, Tampa Bay. But if you're looking at Boston as your main competition, and 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 their three top starters are Drew Pomeranz, uh, 
you know, Chris Sale and, and David Price, this is amazing. You know, you, you want those three lefties throwing to, to outside of Greg Bird, everybody, you know, and, and Brett Gardner, uh, for the most part, the middle of the lineup is, is full of nothing but right-handed punch. And it's funny because we came a long way from where the Yankees were and being lefty dominant and wanting to pull everything out to the uh, short porch, right? And now you've seen a, com- a complete switch, and uh, Greg Bird is probably the most pure hitter in that lineup, and he's going to be batting fifth or sixth. That's scary stuff, man. That's scary stuff. And, and I think and on paper, it's just it's filthy. Now, and, and one other switch real quick on that. None of their right-handed power hitters are pole hitters. If you if you look at Stanton and you look at Judge and and uh, and Gary's numbers, home run numbers, they're, they're, they don't lean. We're not talking about Brian McCann and, and Curtis Granderson here. We're talking about right-handed hitters who who are not afraid to go opposite field. Yep, yep. They're pure power guys um, all around, and it's only again you hope they just stay healthy, especially Stan, who in four seasons out of his eight-year career, he's only played over 120 games four times. So, uh, if they can all stay on the field, if if Judge can build on his rookie year, if Sanchez can uh, keep his momentum going, his first you know season and a half, he's been the best catcher in baseball, and uh, you just hope Greg Bird can stay on the field. But uh, those those four players, they're all pretty young. You know, Stan's 28 years old. Everybody else is younger than that. So. Uh, it's it's they're all pull guys. I, I'm sorry, they're all power. They're all power guys. They're not pure, uh, pure pull hitters, and uh, that's going to play, especially in these ALE ballparks. Now I know, um, you know, I want to get you and, and Matt Mike's opinion on this, and also, you know, having a DH is going to hopefully save Stanton. Also, you know, uh, stand quite a bit because he won't have to play the field every game. So hopefully, the DH will be able to help him out as well as saving some wear and tear. But I was looking at a projected lineup, and the projected lineup had Gardner hitting one, Judge hitting two, uh, I believe it was Stanton hitting three, Gary Sanchez hitting four. Now, me personally, I don't know if I'm a big fan of Aaron Judge hitting the number two slot. I would probably prefer to see him hitting three with Stanton hitting four, maybe Sanchez hitting five. Like, are you guys... Do you think it's beneficial for the Yankees to hit someone like that in a number two spot? I think when you're looking at you're looking at Gardner one, um, Judge two. The one thing that those guys do is they work counts. Yes, um, sir. You know, and and that's exactly what you want out of your one and two guys. Some people have said maybe Didi should hit second, but. Uh, TD does not. He's a very aggressive hitter. He doesn't work counts as often, and I think he's better suited to the bottom of the lineup. But um, Gardner works a lot of counts, and so does Judge, and Judge also has a lot of power. So if Gardner gets on base often enough, and if either you're looking at two on for, uh, you're either looking at two guys on for, for Stan, or you're looking at a two-run home run um, right out of the gate and putting pitchers in the hole early. So uh, I, you know, again, you can look at what they did last year, um, and, and batting DD fourth. It's, it's funny. He sent the tweet out about that, but, uh, I think Judge, too, while there was some skepticism last year, that can definitely work with the way that he works counts this year. Yeah. I, I just think that, that the, uh, prototypical number two hitter is not looked at as a 50 home run guy. Um, if you don't bat Judge second, where are you going to bat him? Fifth or sixth? Now all of a sudden, because, we don't want to do what 
is done traditionally. We're, we're going to give this guy less at-bats. Fact of the matter is, like Joe said, him and Gardner are routinely in the top echelon, the upper echelon in the league as far as pitches per plate appearance. And if we're talking about the fact that, you know, never mind the walks and home runs, the fact that you're, you're in the third inning, in the first inning, your number three hitter can come up, Stan can come up to bat, and that pitcher can potentially already be throwing his 13th and 14th pitch of an inning. Uh, that that increases the likelihood that he's going to run into something. So I, I don't. I, I'm not going to fall into let's do it because that's how it's always been done. Um, I'm fine with it with the lineup. I think uh, the one thing I will say I, I'm not as familiar with Stanton, but Gary is, is a hell of a three hitter. Um, he excelled in the three hole. So you know, I guess that's one thing you you have to take into consideration. Where is he comfortable? Um, I just think when you look at when you look at. Judge hitting two and Stan hitting three. No one's going to be pitching around Judge to get Stan right, um, and it doesn't really matter whether you put. Uh, I think it doesn't matter whether you put Stan there, or you put Gary there. Uh, nobody's pitching around Judge to get to whoever's behind him. So, um, it's it. You're going to see Judge get a steady, steady diet of fastballs this year. You're not going to see a lot of your, and and scary to think that he can be even better because he won't be getting a ton of breaking balls this year, being in that two hole. Um, so it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how they line them up. But I think one through four, um, Gardner, Judge, Stan, Sanchez, and you can either flip three and four with, uh, Sanchez and Stan there. Um, it's, that's, again, that's murderer's row two. And it doesn't, it doesn't really get better, better than that in baseball. Now, I've also seen some tweets about, uh, I don't know if you saw the picture where they had the green monster and they elevated it a lot higher than what it really was. And, and uh, Strowman from the um, Toronto Blue Jays said he was looking forward to facing Stanton. Um, do you think that this move put some fear into Toronto and into Boston? Because I'm assuming Toronto is going to, you know, I don't think they're going to sign Batista. I think they're going to let him walk. Um, so do you think this puts some fear in those guys? Like that you know, was those fearful tweets or? Uh, whether it's fear, you know, a guy like Stroman, he's just a really gutsy pitcher. But these guys, um, it's it's different. It's just different when you're watching the judge at bat. Um, it's just different when you're watching a stand at bat, knowing the power that these guys have and just seeing them at the plate. It's intimidating. Um, whether, whether pitchers want to admit it or not, uh, uh, you you know what you're in for when you when you face these guys, uh, and just think if you're a pitcher, if you're you know a guy in Miami, you're pitching in Miami to stand. That's the one guy you don't want to beat you. But now if you're looking at Toronto and you're playing the Yankees, you have five guys that can beat you in a lineup, um, and and that's going to play on a pitcher. That's going to play in a pitcher's mind. He's always going to be thinking to that next at bat and that next guy that can hit him. Um, so yeah, I, I I don't think whether they're you know being cutesy now about it, but. Come July, if if Stan is taking is taking Strowman deep uh, for a three run home run in, in the in the first inning, that's it's it's going to change. It's going to change quick. Now, Matt, Mike, you have anything else you uh, want to ask Joe before we let him go? I'm good. Joe, as always, we appreciate you calling in. Is there a social media handle that you want to uh, shell out to the listeners where they can follow you on Twitter or Instagram? Yeah, absolutely. You guys can just follow me on Twitter at Joe Rivera SN. You can find my uh, my my author page there, and I put out some good stuff. Uh, so yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Rivera SN. And guys, definitely follow him because I follow him as well. 
and he's always putting up great tweets and giving out some important information. So please be sure to follow Joe on Instagram. And with that being said, Joe, we want to thank you as always for calling in. We really appreciate it. The listeners really appreciate it. And me and the Mad Mike hope that you have a great, happy, safe, and blessed holiday. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Have a uh, happy holidays and uh, hope you find some uh, dingers underneath your Christmas tree. <laughs> I like the sound of that. And with that being said, we're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be back with more of the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Sports Talk Show. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? This is A.O. Aaron Omar Baker, the producer for the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Show. Just want to say thank y'all for tuning in. Thank y'all for listening. Make sure you check out LloydAThompson.com and follow him everywhere. That's Instagram, Twitter, at Lloyd A. Thompson. That's it. Let's get back to the show. Welcome back to the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Sports Talk Show. We want to thank Joe Rivera again from calling in and discussing this Giancarlo Stanton trade that the Yankees pulled off with the Miami Marlins. But now, you know, I want me and the Mad Mike to give our opinions on this deal as well. And I'll start off, Mad Mike, and we can go back and forth uh, as we don't have that much time left. But I think this is a deal that if you're a New York Yankee diehard fan or if you're a New York Yankees fan, you have to be ecstatic and excited about this deal for two reasons, Mad Mike. The most important reason, in my opinion, is that the Yankees didn't have to give up any of their top flight prospects. Torres, Chance Adams, you know, none of those guys. They didn't have to give any of those guys up. I'm not saying that the prospects that they did give up, you know, weren't worth anything. But they didn't have to touch any of those guys. And then you're adding... The reigning, you know, the reigning NL MVP to a lineup that already has Aaron Judge. And I was looking at a stat that the Yankees, there's five players on the Yankees. I think it was, if you include Stanton, Judge, Sanchez, Didi DeGorius, and it might have been somebody else. I can't remember who the fifth name was, Matt Mike. But those five players out home at the Boston Red Sox entire no, no, no. It was only team. four. It was four. It was it four? Was, it was the four. It was the, the four you named. Those four hit 169 home runs last season. And the uh, Boston Red Sox ended their year hitting a total of 168 home runs. Now, how sick is that? Now, I mean, obviously, it's, it's you know, Giancarlo Stan, he has a strikeout bug, and that's okay. But like Joe was saying, you know, surprisingly for somebody who strikes out, maybe not as much as Aaron Judge, but he still is a good, great base. You know, he's still a great hitter. Aaron Judge hit 284. Even with him striking out as much as he did, if you could strike out that much and hit 284, that shows how great of a hitter you are. You know, how do you feel about this deal, man, Mike? Um, man, I, I touched on it briefly, but I'm, it's the forward thinking of Brian Cashman that I'm so impressed with. I've, I've, I've said throughout the whole process, I, you know, we heard the Yankees reached out to the Marlins at the trade deadline. We heard that the Yankees reached out to the Marlins uh, in the at the GM meetings uh, last month. And then when when you heard Stanton was meeting with the with the Yankees on Friday, I was like, no way! Like, where is he going to play? He's, uh, you know, Judge is a D is the right fielder. You still have Garner. You have an excess. But you know, when you think about it, Judge is there's never been a player as big as Judge. We we've heard that all year, right? We're talking about a guy who's almost 300 pounds of solid muscle, weighs uh, you know six seven. He, he's going to need a break. So. 
I'm just like, you know what? Figure it out. And as long as it doesn't, you know, jeopardize the salary cap, the luxury tax plans, I'm all for this move. Because the one thing that that, uh, all those 10-year contracts, and you know this better than, you know, that everybody was getting paid in their 30s. They weren't getting contracts for 10 years. Maybe Alex Rodriguez when he got the first 10-year contract. But besides that, you know, guys have got this guy's 28 years old even at the back end of his deal he's going to be what in in year eight he's going to be 35 36 years old he should still be able to perform so i'm I'm saying to myself they were genius and getting the 35 million dollars 30 million dollars to bring this luxury tax his annual average against the luxury tax is only two million dollars so when bryce harper gets paid $40 $40 million a year, his annual average, his luxury tax value is going to be $40 million. Manny Machado is going to get $35 million. It's going to be 35 because Stanton signed uh, that $300 million extension. It was added on to the remaining years and, and money on his you know his current contract in 14. He was only his only uh, uh, it was twenty five million dollars his annual average that thirty million dragged it down another three million. This guy's going to be costing us on annual average salary thirteen to eighteen million less than Machado and Harper. He's not half. Is he thirteen million dollars less a player than both of those guys? No. This is going to be a steal in two years. You watch. I agree with you, Matt Mike, and also the fact that the Yankees still. Or get on, are going to be able to possibly get under that luxury tax threshold, which is, which is going to reset, um, you know, their money flow, and that could that then they could go aggressively after a top flight starter. Not saying that they will, but at least they'll be in a position to do so. And I also want to give kudos to Brian Cashman, as it's, ha- it's hard to call it a rough pass, but the Yankee GM has been a subject of a bit of second-guessing in recent weeks for replacing manager Joe Girardi with Aaron Boone and then losing out on a Japanese pitcher, Shoei to Otani. You know, when there were rumblings that the Yankees might be interested in Stanton, Matt Mike, you know, the smart money assumed the Marlins were merely trying to get the Dodgers to sweeten the pot as that was Stanton's preference. That was his first choice. Well, well, you, you, you have to understand something about the Dodgers. The Dodgers offered them as good a a, a prospect package um, as you can get from, from all accounts that I've heard. Um, the problem is they're, they're, they're up against um, they're, you know, they're, they're up against uh, the, you know, how much money they've lost. They've, they've lost a, a bit of money themselves. They're, they're, we're talking about $250 million salary. Um, you, you can't just add another $30 million to $250 million that they already owe their players. Um, they can't just release guys like Andre Ethier anymore. So it, it's it's hard. You know, the Yankees are coming from a point where Brian. It was a perfect storm. Brian Cashman reset our salary cap at the perfect time. He didn't necessarily have this year in mind. He didn't have Giancarlo Stanton in his in his you know in his sights. He had next year Machado, Harper, Kershaw. He was looking at those guys. But the fact that he's going to get a guy who, who's going to cost them $15 million less, where now he can actually give that $15 million 
to another guy. Or, or you know, let's say he does want Manny Machado, and Manny Machado's sitting on, on something like $320 million over 10 years, $32 million annual. And now he's the guy that says, well, you know what? I am saving that money with Stanton. I'll give you the 350 because I can afford the additional $3 million. For the first time in a long time, he's forward thinking. He's seeing the market, and he's getting out ahead of it. Now, also, I also want to add the fact that, I mean, you know, Joe kind of spoke of Gleyber Torres possibly not being there at the start of the season. But the Yankees, by trading Castro in that deal, they freed up the spot for their top prospect and probably the best prospect in all of baseball. And they may have found to him a home because of this deal. Now, it was clear last year that the 20-year-old Torres was ready for the majors, but his promotion was delayed because of the injury. You know, but what wasn't clear was what position he would play. So now he's a natural well, shortstop, Matt Mike. The I've Yankees, always told you he was going to play second base you for did. this team. You did. And the Yankees have Didi, who's young. You know, so they did give Torres some playing time at second in the minors, even though Castro had been playing well there. But one possibility was that Torres could move to third. But in the process of that, as you said before in previous shows, that that would possibly block Andujar. You know, who and Andujar, let's add, that Andujar doesn't have the same versatility as Torres. Now, well, I'll tell you this, Lloyd, and, and Joe touched on a player that a lot of people overlook. He touched on a player that, that we all probably question his skills because of how Joe Girardi handled him in the media, how Joe Girardi treated him, um, planting him on the bench and never playing him. Um, you you might not be wrong. They might use Andujar to make a trade, and, and Torres still might find himself at third base. But not for one second. Tyler Wade can play the infield. Tyler Wade can hit. Tyler Wade is brings the kind of speed that the Jacoby Ellsbury signing was supposed to to bring. Now, it, it, like I said, if, if if Girardi wasn't as hard on him in the media, if he didn't, you know, kind of sour everybody's view of of Wade, me and you would be having a completely different conversation. We might be saying, "Hey, so maybe we send Torres, keep him in the minors." developing a little while longer and, and let's see what, what 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 Wade can do. Remember Wade. Wade earned that shortstop job coming out of spring training last year. For some reason Joe Girardi did not want to give it to him and he gave it to Pete Cosma. Pete Cosma hit two twenty as a Yankee before he didn't even make it out of the first month. This kid Wade can play. Everybody, believe me, he can play. Well I'll I'll piggyback on you and say yeah he can play, but one of the things that I was surprised is that Girardi had, he didn't have a long leash for these young guys. And the only way for young guys to learn how to play, as we always say, is you got to let them play. And they're going to make some mistakes. You know, but that's to be expected. But the only way to get better, you know, per se, is they got to go through that learning curve. So this is where hopefully Aaron Boone may differ from Joe Girardi. And I'm hoping that he does. You know, what's the sense of having all these young guys in the minors if you're going to keep them in the minors? You know, if they, if they fill the void or the need that the Yankees may have with the big ball club, bring them up, give them the opportunity. And don't just yank them. Like, I never understood. Andrew Hall had that great game in Chicago when he got called up. I don't know. He went either 4 for 4 or 5 for 5, and he got sent back down the next damn day. 
Like Jamal yeah, remember Simpson. something. <laughs> Miguel Andujar is one of the, the league leaders in errors at third base in the minors, in all of the minor leagues. He's one of the worst defensive third basemen in the minors. And and it's I'm don't wanna blame him. You know, he's got a lot of developing to do. He's only twenty what, twenty one years old. So He's got a ways to go, and I think that's what they were doing. They were trying to – I don't know if that was a Joe decision or if that was a front office decision. His amazing breakout day came in Chicago as a DH. He didn't play the field, and I think that they want to – you know, remember Eduardo Nunez? Uh, he could hit the heck out of the ball. He couldn't field, and they brought him up too soon. And and I think they're trying to learn from their mistakes. They're trying to, you know uh, – give guys more time to, to finish themselves as a complete player opposed to saying, hey, this guy can hit and we need some some at-bats. So we're just going to run him out there and stall his development as an as a overall player. Um, so I, I, I'm speculating. I, I'm, no one has confirmed that to us. No one has gone public with that. Um, but I do agree with you. If these guys deserve it, um, they, they, they should get it, you know, get the chance. Well, we'll see what happens. Again, I'm excited about this season. The Yankees still have some possibilities or some moves that they can make with the five outfielders. You know, will Clint Frazier be in a Yankees uniform? Will Ellsbury be in a Yankees uniform? Will Brett Gardner be in a Yankees uniform? It's going to be, will Chase Headley be in a Yankees uniform? You know, so will they resign Tom Frazier? There's a lot going on. And, you know, and, and you know, as a, as a Yankee fan, we've had some, you know, heartaches over the last couple years. And we've been spoiled, you know, for years before that. But, you know, things are on the up and up, and I have to give credit to, you know, Cashman, and I have to give credit to the Yankees, you know, the owners, as I've been very harsh and critical of them. But sometimes you don't see the big picture until, you know, until the plan is actually carried out. And the Yankees yeah, have one of the best farm systems in baseball right now, you know, and that's because, you know, it's, it's, it was all in trust in the process. Yeah, um, also real quick, because I, I've taken a lot um – I've taken a lot of of messages and and I've heard a lot of people mention this. You know, why didn't the Yankees uh, trade Ellsbury to the Marlins? And and I understand that the fans want to get rid of this guy. They want to just shed salary. Um, You got to understand something. If these guys are trying to get rid of Stanton salary because they 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 need the salary relief. Why would they take a guy making twenty two million dollars a year? Um, you, you know, if you're the Yankees, this is the kind of deal that that they made for Stanton. This is the kind of deal you're going to have to make for Ellsbury, where you're giving up, you're getting nothing back in return, and you're giving money to whatever team takes him. You know, and, and then the fans are going to cry and complain about that. We didn't get anything for Ellsbury, and we're paying half his contract. That's how you dump salary in the major leagues. You take nothing in return, and you send money. Yeah, and that's what's going to have to be to get rid of him. And, you know, we'll see. I, it'll be really hard to see Ellsbury being in a Yankees uniform this coming season um, as they have Gardner scheduled to play center. This is just something that reports that I saw. I think they had Gardner in center. They had Aaron Judge in left. And it has Stanton and right because they said Aaron Yeah, they Judge. shot that down already. They shot that down already, Lloyd. Oh, um, what they said is they said that they're going to play Aaron Hicks in center field and they're going to play Gardner in left field when he's, when he's starting defensively. 
and they're going to play Aaron Judge in right field. The the question and Stanton with DH, I think they they said the plan might be for them to do that at home, and they're going to rotate the corner outfield spots. Their center field belongs to Aaron Hicks, um, and when he needs a break, either Gardner will go. I think we may have lost Matt Mike. Matt Mike, are you there, brother? Can we hear you? Are you with us? Hey, you hear me? All right, we got you now, Matt Mike. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You were saying Um, the last thing we had you before we lost you for a split second was that when Aaron Hicks needed a break, they was going to put Brett Gardner in center? Yeah, well, then then, um, if Ellsbury's on the roster, Ellsbury would go out to center. Um, and, or, or if he's injured or needs a break, Gardner will go to center. Um, but they were going to use that DH spot to keep those guys all in the lineup. Um, you know, so we'll see, like Joe said, it's, um, you know, Stan is an injury risk. He's a big guy. He's only played 120 plus games four times in the season. So DH, you know, as you pointed out is very, you know, it's, it's a big option for him. Um, as far as health goes. So we'll see. Um, it, it's, it's not bad, but I don't think that you're going to see Judge in left field because remember something, Yankee, Yankee, uh, right field in Yankee Stadium is the smallest um, right field yeah, in Left baseball. field is a big, that's and, a lot of, that's a lot of ground for him to cover in left. And Brett yes. Gardner does it so well. So that yes. would make sense. I was so. a little nervous on that, but they were saying that Judge is actually a better fielder and, you know, than, than Stanton as far as, you know, I mean, but 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 see, and this is this is where you you got to take everything into context, right? Miami Stadium, Miami Park is one of the biggest parks in baseball. So obviously, uh, Stanton is going to rank worse because he's got a lot more ground to cover. And he's going to make a lot less outs. Uh, where Yankee Stadium is small, Aaron Judge is a big guy. He can cover a lot more ground in a smaller. Um, you know, field, I think Stanton would do just fine in right field. If not, I think uh, playing in Yankee Stadium will actually boost his defensive rating. Um, you know, just my, my personal opinion on that. Listen, um, you talk I, about, I think it's stated. You talk about murderous role with that lineup, man. What, are the, what about that outfield, Matt, Mike? Stanton has an incredible arm. Judge has an incredible arm. Hicks, Hicks is an excellent incredible. outfielder. And Garden is an excellent outfielder. The Yankees probably have the best defensive outfield in, in all of baseball as of right now, Mad Mike. As of um, right now. They, 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 they might have the best all-around outfield in baseball, period, defensively and offensively. Um, I don't think that we can question that one bit. Um, I just, man, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm really amazed. I'm really amazed at, at this this trade. I'm I'm amazed that they they went for it. Um, you can say that they were two years ahead of schedule in their contention, and they could have gone into this coming season saying we have a rookie uh, manager. We we want to break him in. We want to break in the rest of our young guys, and we're still one year away. And they didn't do that. They he he's going for it right now. And real quick, um. I know you mentioned that, you know, they, they still have a need at ace. Um, I talked uh, with Joe about this uh, off the air. Um, he seems to, you know, we're both against it. Um, he, he seems to doubt it would happen. But um, there are some some speculation that the Yankees could dangle Clint Frazier for Garrett Cole um, from the Pittsburgh Pirates, and they would easily be able to get that done straight up one player for one player. As you know, Pittsburgh is trying to reset their entire outfield uh, outside of Gregor Polanco. 
Well, that'd be, you know, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be. I don't. I'm not familiar with Garrett Cole. So can you? Well, just... I'll tell you this: the Yankees drafted Garrett Cole in the in the back end of a first round, and he chose not to sign with them, and he went to UCLA um, for two years, and then he became the number one overall draft pick uh, of the Pittsburgh Pirates just uh, two years later. So the Yankees are very familiar with him, and they like him. What were his numbers? Um, he's, he's, he's another one that he's never fully put it together. Um, he's had some injury questions. I'll tell you one thing. Um, he's not happy with the arbitration process in baseball. He's complained about his, uh, he's complained about his, uh, salary, um, the way that, uh, guys get paid. So, um, you would be bringing in a guy who could potentially be a headache as far as, uh, you know the the numbers go money wise. Uh, as far as stuff, he's an ace. As far as um, you know, stats. Uh, you look, he he can pitch with the best of them in the in the National League. So um, we're talking about a guy who has started playoff games, and um, it would be a big get for the Yankees. But I I think that Clint Frazier would be a huge loss. And when you're talking about that. I think I'd rather take my chances and see what else is out there. Look, well, they do have Chance Adams, so we'll see what happens. And, so. and Justice Sheffield. Yeah. Hey, for some reason, he's going overlooked. He's so, keeping him, and he's a lefty of the future. Well, let's see what happens, but I'm definitely excited, and I'm sure you're excited as well. And with that being said, listeners, that's going to bring us to a conclusion of this special edition, this special baseball edition show where we had talk strictly baseball for the entire time me and the mad mike want to thank you the listeners for continuously supporting us without you guys there wouldn't be us we want to thank joe Rivera, sports columnist from the sporting news for calling in to do the show as he's always you know one of the guys that's always there to support us when we need him i want to thank the mad mike for taking time out of his schedule to call in and we want to thank our producer ao omar baker for continuously to continue to get this thing going on so with that being said guys me and the mad mike will see you in seven days so listeners please have a great safe and blessed week and until next week guys A-O! let's roll baby All right, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the conclusion of this week's Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Sports Show. Once again, I just want to say thank y'all for tuning in. Thank y'all for listening. Thank you for sharing and helping to grow the audience of this show. Much appreciated. As always, brand new episodes drop every single Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Check out LloydAThompson.com. Make sure you don't miss anything. And follow along on Instagram, on Twitter, at LloydAThompson. That's it. Enjoy your week. Stay safe. Peace.